Well, hello and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark and thank you for joining us again. We are taking our usual trip around the highways and byways of recorded jazz history and today we're going to be listening to some of the results of the first two albums uh, issued under the name of Ornette Coleman. Ornette Coleman was a saxophonist who was born in Fort Worth, Texas in 1930. He did his early apprenticeship in rhythm and blues bands and some sort of uh, western swing bands, I guess you'd have to call it, although in the African-American tradition uh, during his teen years and up to the time he was in his early 20s or so, uh, he was largely self-taught and he had a very unique way of looking at music as interviews with him show from the later period. He was a uh, kind of an intellectual in a way, although he disparaged that, that term in a couple of interviews that I heard. Uh, he wanted to find a new way of creating music and relating it to sounds, and he had several uh, words that uh, or terms that he used in, in, in different parts of his career to describe that approach. Sound grammar was one, harmonics, things like that. But he was always interested in integrating various sounds into his music and creating a much more vocalized sound on the saxophone. He was, because of this, roundly disparaged by most jazz musicians of the time in the mid to late 50s when he started coming to prominence. Uh, there were, however, a few who really embraced his concepts. John Lewis of the Modern Jazz Quartet, Max Roach, the great drummer, they felt that uh, Ornette Coleman was bringing a new thing to jazz and jazz improvisation. They even quoted uh, or, or used the quotation that he was the next Charlie Parker. Even some critics were uh, impressed. Not too many of them, though. Whitney Balliot was one who uh, gave some good press to Ornette Coleman, especially about 1960. After these two albums were released, and he went on to do a couple of more albums that were even more far-reaching, and then came to New York uh, in about 1960. Uh, Balliot started reviewing his concerts, and while he wasn't 100% sold, he was more generous than most. So by the late 1950s, Coleman was in Los Angeles, and he was starting to gather uh, some other musicians who were of a like mind around him, and we're going to hear some of them on these two albums today. Uh, he didn't have too much luck getting work uh, outside of the recording studio because his music was so unusual at the time, and you know, people didn't think that he knew how to play or that he was a good enough musician and so on and so forth. Uh, but these two albums were uh, kind of landmarks, certainly in his career. He was uh, uh, just getting started, and he uh, got this contract from Contemporary Records and uh, its founder, Lester Koenig. Uh, Koenig was impressed enough with some of Coleman's compositions and their his approach to improvisation and his group's uh, coherence, really, within that style, that he uh, contracted the first album, which was called Something Else, not to be confused with the album of the same name released by Cannonball Adderley with Miles Davis. This was uh, recorded in February and March of 1958. Again, the band wasn't really working that much occasionally. In fact, uh, Ornette Coleman was doing a lot of non-music jobs uh, just to keep body and soul together. The band in this case is Ornette Coleman on alto sax, his usual right-hand man from this period, Don Cherry on trumpet, uh, Don Payne on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. Higgins uh, was a long-time Coleman cohort at this point and from this point as well. Also, we hear Don Payne on bass, a good local bass player, and unusually for Coleman's groups, uh, a pianist, Walter Norris, who was very much in the hard bop tradition. This album uh, is very accessible, I think, uh, to those people who might be put off by some of the free jazz elements of that album, Free Jazz, that uh, was done for Atlantic a couple of years later. This has uh, more elements of traditional, uh, traditionally based bebop and hard bop as well, but with some obvious differences and some looks ahead, most of which are included in the playing of Coleman and Sherry. Uh, Coleman had a wonderfully... Um, vocalized tone on alto sax. He was playing at the time, we're told, a plastic alto. Uh, Charlie Parker had played one briefly, uh, but this was a, an unusually toned instrument that uh, Coleman was very fond of for a while. It was on the cheap side, it was used as a student or an outdoor instrument, but he liked the pitch and the pitch um, flexibility that it gave him, apparently. So we're going to start with three numbers from that album. We're going to start with Jane, which was named for Coleman's wife, who he was married to at the time, and uh, followed by a tune called Chippy, which was uh, a tribute to the son of drummer uh, 
um, Ed Blackwell, who will appear on some other Coleman records coming up. That has a nice, bright, bebop type of feel to it. And then we're going to finish up with Angel Voice. All of these are, are Ornette Coleman compositions. Angel Voice kind of looks back to... Um, his Texas roots. We're going to hear a lot of blues influence here as well. So those are our tunes right now, and I will tell you again the personnel. Ornette Coleman on alto sax, Don Cherry on trumpet, Walter Norris on piano, Don Payne on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. Jane, Chippy, and Angel Voice.
So those were the first recordings of the Ornette Coleman Quartet done in February and March of 1958, released on that album, Something Else, uh, for Contemporary Records. That was a big chance that Lester Koenig took uh, recording this band, and uh, probably the albums didn't sell very well, but uh, this one sold well enough to... uh, justify a second one, which we'll talk about in a second. So as I said, those tunes were not really all that revolutionary in the sense that, you know, his album Free Jazz was a little bit later. We listen to this 60-some years later and think that it wasn't all that far removed from hard bop or even classic bebop from uh, 15 years before this recording was made. Most of these tunes on this album were based on some pre-existing chord progression. We started out with the tune Jane, dedicated to Ornette Coleman's wife, and that clearly was based on the Johnny Green tune Out of Nowhere. Um, then we went to Chippy, uh, that fast tune dedicated to Ed Blackwell's son. Not sure about that one. And then Angel Voice, which was based on I Got Rhythm. And uh, all of these features more or less uh, avant-garde playing by members of the band. Of course, the most modern is the leader, Ornette Coleman, whose alto sax had a wonderful vocalized quality that I don't think was all that far removed from the sound of Charlie Parker's uh, recordings from probably 10, 15 years earlier. Uh, Don Cherry was playing an instrument called the pocket trumpet. It looked like a toy, but just a little... uh, compressed trumpet, which he said helped him hear the sounds better, and uh, his playing verged from from almost uh, Kenny Dorham-like bebop to something a little bit more uh, avant-garde, as we heard on a couple of those tunes, and we'll hear a couple coming up. We had Walter Norris on piano, who was very solidly in the bebop school. Uh, Generally, on his later recordings, Coleman did not use a chordal instrument, piano or guitar, uh, at least for the next five or six years or so. Uh, He didn't want to be fettered by harmonies. He wanted the musicians to uh, go in their own direction and and be inspired by the moment rather than a pre-existing condition, hence the title Free Jazz, which really is kind of a misnomer, but uh, which uh, summed up uh, his approach to music at any rate. We had Don Payne on bass. Don Payne was from Texas, but was raised in California in the Los Angeles area, played with uh, quite a number of the Los Angeles and West Coast-based groups, as did Billy Higgins on drums, although Higgins became known as more of an avant-garde, progressive, free jazz, what-have-you drummer in the 1960s. So those were the three tunes we started with, Jane Chippy and Angel Voice. We're going to do two more tunes from this album. I'm not going to play quite the whole album before we go on to the next one. We're going to hear When Will the Blues Leave, which is, not remarkably, based on the blues. And we will hear the first of uh, Ornette Coleman's takes on the blues here. Then we're going to finish up with the last title of the album, The Sphinx, which Coleman said was generated somewhat spontaneously at a rehearsal and came to uh, represent to him something so exotic-sounding he wanted an exotic-sounding name, and so he used the name of the inscrutable Sphinx to uh, represent what he was hearing in his own music there. So after these uh, early 1958 dates, uh, Coleman and his group did a few jobs around uh, Los Angeles, but again, were not very uh, popular. Uh, Fortunately, for posterity's sake anyway, they got another album date from Lester Koenig and Contemporary Records, and they recorded some more tunes in uh, January, February, and March of 1959, and that came out on the album entitled Tomorrow is the Question, subtitled The New Music of Ornette Coleman. And on this album, we're going to hear Ornette Coleman and John Don Cherry again on alto sax and trumpet with a different rhythm section. Shelly Mann, uh, the white drummer whose career went back to New York in the 1940s and who was a key member of a lot of the West Coast groups, the Lighthouse All-Stars and so forth, um, is on drums, does an interesting uh, adaptive uh, approach to this type of music. He said he enjoyed doing it and uh, certainly sounds successful. And then we're going to hear either Red Mitchell or Percy Heath on bass, and both of them had long standing bebop and west coast credentials but they managed to adapt themselves as well no chordal instrument on this one so we're going to play uh two other tunes for this set from that album we're going to hear tears inside which is a nice comparison with when will the blues leave um which is uh, another take on the blues, but without the uh, chordal backing, the soloists are allowed to take it into somewhat uh, more interesting territory. Then we're going to finish up with a tune called Compassion. All of these are Ornette Coleman compositions, by the way. And this was one that he said he wrote because he had compassion for musicians who didn't uh, understand the inner workings of music and the emotional workings of music. I guess you'd have to say that. 
So, those are our tunes for this set from uh, something else, the uh, first album for Contemporary, When Will the Blues Leave and Sphinx, and from Tomorrow's the Question, Tears Inside and Compassion, all done by the Ornette Coleman Quintet or Quartet.
So this was definitely more of a, 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 a an advance, I guess, stylistically on the first album. Uh, we started out with that first album. We heard When Will the Blues Leave and Sphinx, done by the Ornette Coleman Quintet in that case. I said quartet. Um, Ornette Coleman on alto sax, uh, Don Cherry on trumpet, Walter Norris on piano, Don Payne on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. Kind of a, a, a workshop session, I guess. You get a snapshot of the way Ornette Coleman was performing and thinking at that time. I don't know if the piano was an addition uh, at the behest of uh, Lester Koenig or if that was uh, something that Ronald Coleman was working through at the time. It might have been sort of a, a sought to uh, traditional, more traditional jazz uh, fans to give them something a little bit more solid to hang on to in terms of Coleman's music. I don't know about that. But at any rate, the next two tunes coming from Tomorrow is the Question were uh, the next step in evolution, certainly. We heard Tears Inside, a blues composition that had a lot of more free elements, I guess you'd have to say. The soloists, uh, particularly uh, the horn players, Coleman and Cherry, were really taking matters outside of the chord progression, although it was still a 12-bar structure. Uh, the chords were much more flexible within there since there was no chordal instrument, so the horn players could take a lot more chances, in other words. And after that, we heard that uh, interesting tune, uh, Compassion, which uh, was several different tempos, was obviously a composition that had been rehearsed, in other words. Um, According to the notes, Compassion, and Ornette Coleman is saying this, was written for a piano player who wanted to play, but he had the wrong idea. He seemed to think human emotion and mind were just a matter of environment. He's wrong, and I had compassion for him. I don't know if he was speaking of Walter Norris from the earlier session or not. Probably not, but you never know. Um, but obviously, a lot of rehearsal and a lot of time went into evolving that performance uh, quite complicated, especially for four people. And those four people were Ornette Coleman and Don Cherry again. Percy Heath was on bass. He was playing with the Modern Jazz Quartet at the time. And Shelley Mann on drums. And they were the group on both of those tunes. We're going to play three more tunes from that album, and these were all recorded in early 1959. This was just prior to uh, Coleman's being discovered, if you will, by John Lewis, the piano player of the Modern Jazz Quartet, and he and Don Cherry being brought east to Lenox, Massachusetts, to the Tanglewood Jazz Workshop Camp Festival, whatever you want to call it, and they were kind of the the, the, the celebrities there, uh, their fame had preceded them, and they were uh, featured quite heavily on those camp concerts and so forth, and that introduced them to a lot of other jazz musicians. As I said, Max Roach was a big fan. Other musicians like Charles Mingus and some other players were not big fans at all, but uh, it was an interesting sort of schism in the jazz world. So the three tunes we're going to go on to are Giggin, Lorraine, and Endless. And uh, these are all tunes that, uh, as I said, Ornette Coleman composed. Giggin uh, is a semi-blues. It's a 13-bar tune and uh, has some interesting elisions within the, the form, which makes, makes the soloist really have to pay attention and feel the beat in there, as you'll hear. Then Lorraine is more of a ballad type of performance, and it was dedicated to Lorraine Geller, a piano player. Uh, her husband, Herb Geller, was a wonderful saxophone player on the West Coast and who employed several of these musicians at various times. And then finishing up with Endless, uh, which has a very open-ended quality, as the title might suggest. So, Listen to the next evolution of Ornette Coleman. This is the Ornette Coleman Quartet, and I should mention that um, on uh, Lorraine and Endless, the bass player is Red Mitchell, and Percy Heath is on Giggin. So that's the only personnel difference. The, uh, the uh, Ornette Coleman Quartet from the album Tomorrow is the Question. <laughs> Thank you. 
So there you have the Ornette Coleman Quartet from uh, the album Tomorrow is the Question for Contemporary Records. All that was recorded in the first two or three months of 1959. And as I said, uh, Don Cherry and Ornette Coleman went east in that summer to Lenox, to Tanglewood, to do their jazz workshop there. And then um, the quartet, uh, different personnel, except for the other, uh, for the two horn players, ended up in New York later in 1959 and through 1960, doing concerts and beginning to get recognized. And then they uh, actually played uh, or, or made their classic album, Free Jazz, with a double quartet, including Eric Dolphy and Freddie Hubbard, different people, for uh, Atlantic Records in 1960. This was after another album or two in between. But these two albums for contemporary really show, I think, the evolution of that style, the increasingly free approach to jazz, even though really free jazz is a misnomer, as I said earlier. Uh, we started out with Giggin, uh, a nice kind of a free-blowing uh, type of jazz performance there, embracing some of the qualities that I just mentioned uh, in terms of, of, of flexibility of harmonic progression and things like that. Then we went on to a little more of a structured performance. Lorraine had a good arrangement to it, more of a, of a ballad, very introspective performance, and then ending up with Endless. All of these are Ornette Coleman compositions. Endless just had that kind of open cyclic quality to it. So these are all things that Ornette Coleman was experimenting with in the late 1950s, and as I said, uh, sort of culminated in the album Free Jazz from 1960. And then from there on, he started developing even more qualities of freedom. He took up violin and trumpet in various recordings, and uh, if anything, he was much less technically adept on those instruments, but he felt that it really expressed some other parts of his personality. So, perhaps later we will get to a podcast of those. So, I hope you've enjoyed this program. My name is John Clark. This is the Jazz Focus. If you'd like to sponsor us, please do so. Um, let us know how you're enjoying these programs. If you have any others you'd like to hear coming up, uh, get in touch with me on my social media, which is my band name, Wolverine Jazz Band, WolverineJazzBand.net, and also Wolverine Jazz Band on Facebook and Instagram. I'd love to have you as members of the family. So, thank you, and I'll see you on the other side.